Tendencies. I'm Kim. I'm Gabby. We are a podcast for all things ghoulish. We talk about a little true crime, talk about a little ghost, talk about some legends, lore, all of the fabulous above. Uh, if you are new to us, welcome. welcome. If you are... <laughs> very nice, very creepy. So uh, if you are one of our regular listeners, thank you so much for continuing to listen and support us. I'm excited about our topic today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited, you guys. It's, uh, I mean, as, as an investigator, as somebody who works in the paranormal, it's one that, that gets talked about a fair bit in our profession. It totally does, because our profession would not exist had these incidents and people not existed. I, I, don't, know, I don't know that I would agree with that. Oh. Okay, that our profession wouldn't exist. No, no, no. Because, well, and and I suppose we should say for anyone who's not read the title of the episode, we will be talking about. We're going to be talking about the perfect storm that is spiritualism and the paranormal awakening. So specifically about the Fox sisters and what they contributed to spiritualism. And it's actually a really fantastic topic because there's a lot of controversy connected to it and a lot of people to this day either fully believe or don't and we have the skeptics we have the scullies hmm. and we have the molders um yours truly <laughs> and i just thought this was a really cool topic for us to cover because it's spooky but it's also controversial and it also has a lot of um, historical references that a lot of people don't even know about. I've heard a lot of different podcast episodes on this, different like books that I've read about this that have had actually different perspectives. So I'm really excited to get into it. But before we get into it, before we get into it, we want to give you all the spookiness, <laughs> all the goodness. And Kim actually has a firsthand spooky ghost story to tell you yeah this is this is a little little firsthand experience one as as part of our um spooky stories that we've been liking to share with all of you uh, as i think all of you know at this point i do work as a paranormal investigator with spooked in seattle and a ghost advanced ghost hunters of seattle tacoma and one of the things i get to do is paranormal tours and we have been fortunate enough to have access to uh, Seattle's Underground for part of our tours. Uh, and Seattle's Underground is a really, really unique area. For those of you who have never been into the Underground before, it is something I recommend if you ever visit the city. If you're local and you've never done it, I highly recommend you check it out. It is really interesting. It is not, as most people assume, uh, tunnels. It's little pockets of the underground. We raised our city up. We built up the streets. And what that left was some kind of basement levels as well as the pockets as where the sidewalks were. So in one section that we go into, there is a very specific spirit back there. Uh, we all kind of lovingly refer to him as Mr. Hansy. Ayo. And he's very active in one corner of the underground. And we're not exactly sure who he is. I have my own theory on it. I think he's a man named Edmund Creffield, uh, who had gotten murdered right around that location where he is known to haunt. 
But this spirit oftentimes likes to touch a lady's hair, sometimes touches her shoulder, her back, and is known to occasionally make some pinches on the bum. A little bit of a potchkey, right? A little took a grab. A little took a grab. And he likes blondes, usually. Oh, cool. We're good. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. Uh-oh. <laughs> until I was filling in for a tour guide one day. And I was doing, it was a six o'clock tour, which I don't do as frequently. I usually do the later in the evening tours or the true crime tours, but I was filling in for one of our tour guides. And I was standing in that corner. I'm telling the stories. And I felt myself get like bear hugged from behind. No, thanks. And not a whole lot throws me. But the sensation of somebody full on bear hugging me from behind where there's no one near me. There's probably six feet between me and any other person. And there's a wall behind me feeling arms come around my waist and just squeeze was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Yeah, I'll pass. Yeah. And it, I already had a few very excitable teenage girls on the tour. And I made a face and one of them already started flipping out. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, nothing, 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 <laughs> nothing, nothing. We're fine. I and love freaking fun. out teenagers. It's like my favorite pastime. I, you know, they were the not fun kind of scared. They were oh. the like genuinely distressed getting scared throughout this whole thing and so I didn't want to add to it but after the tour I did have a few people ask me like hey did something happen and I and I explained what and I said honestly I didn't want to freak these girls out further they were already nearing a point where I was afraid they would run out of here screaming I mean that would have been a really wonderful entertaining moment but also that would have sucked for them it, not so much for them. It, it's yeah. one of those things that that where it it may have entertained some of the people on the tour. They were they were really worked up, and we do not want anyone to get genuinely distressed by what's happening. Sure, um, that is not the intention. There's there's that fun kind of scared where you're like, oh, this is creepy, but you're enjoying yourself, and there's genuinely distressed. They were distressed. Uh, so yeah, so I got grabbed by Mister Hansy. Not the first time I've ever been grabbed by a spirit, but probably the most memorable. <laughs> so, Kim, I know you have a hard time getting a live boyfriend, but clearly uh, the dead ones want you. Apparently. At least, well, <laughs> although I'm not blonde, so I don't know. I, Maybe it's, you're just the exception to the rule, man. <laughs> well, to be fair, at that point in time, too, we, we, ha- we now do have one blonde tour guide but at the time we did not have any blonde tour guides so I don't know if he was like well I guess I'll settle for this one. Oh my uh, god stop it <laughs> going back to what we were speaking of earlier uh about I was speaking specifically to the Fox sisters when I mentioned I would not give them credit for the reason paranormal investigators came about Looking specifically at like the Society for Psychical Research, that's been around since 1882, I want to say. So we're going to get into details of dates and people. And I agree with you that I wouldn't necessarily put it all on them, but the spiritualist movement is something absolutely 
caused that. So I think that's where I was going with it. I think, I think I misunderstood. I thought you were going to be speaking specifically just to the Fox sisters, which is, is why I, I am speaking mostly to the Fox sisters, but there is context that we do have to give. Mm. So there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, smorgasbord of uh, information, little buffet, if you will. <laughs> and this is the type of buffet you don't have to be scared of during a quarantine because it's audio. Hey, all right. So, so dumb. Just uh, so y'all know, we've started to be slightly quarantined in our homes. So we might be a little bit rowdy and crazy because that's what happens when you stay home for too long. But it's going to be a good episode. So having said that, if spiritualism was not a thing, Kim and I wouldn't know each other. <laughs> this podcast wouldn't exist. So really excited to give you a little bit of history behind where it came from and the Fox sisters who so controversially affected that movement. So having said that, I got a lot of information from this one book. I know, Kim, you love books. So I'm going to make a book recommendation to you. This will also go into our uh, creepy critics corner later, but it's called Talking to the Dead, Kate and Maggie Fox and the Rise of Spiritualism by Barbara Weisberg. So a lot of the quotes that I have and references that I use are going to be to that, but I also Mm -hmm. have additional like research that I did. So just to give you the heads up. All right. So let's set the scene, shall we? Sounds good. All right. 1848. One out of five children born died before their first birthday. Adult life expectancy was about 40 years old. So we would be coming to the close end of our lives. Let's not dwell on that. We had lived in 1848. Uh, Uh, At least it was a good life. Right? No children to die either. So, you know. Children to die. Lots of whiskey consumed. Win-win. Win-win-win. So there were lots of revolutions going on at this time. So just to give context, uh, Western Europe had a whole bunch of revolutions going on. The Mexican-American War just came to an end. The gold rush was a thing that was starting to happen in California. And something else that became big was hysteria. And hysteria was diagnosed as a condition that was a women's disease. It was believed to originate in the womb and to demonstrate female frailty and fallibility. Girls around puberty were particularly susceptible to the fits and seizures hysteria could induce. How important it was then for a young woman to exercise self-restraint and to remain in a limited arena, the home. Are we going through hysteria right now? What's happening? (laughs) Oh my God, we're going through hysteria. Uh, We are women remaining in the home. Except I am not going through puberty, just to clarify. So having said that, this is when spiritualism began to rear its head. And the definition of spiritualism is a system of belief or religious practice based on supposed communication with spirits of the dead, especially through mediums. So just to give you some context, that's exactly what it means. So March 1848, the Fox family. You have Maggie. She was born October 7th, 1833, and she was 14 years old. You have Kate. She was the youngest of six children, born March 27th, 1837. She was 11, and they were both the children of Margaret and John Fox. They also had an older sister named Leah. She was 33. So Leah had already moved out of the house. She had a kid, but she was very influential to Maggie and Kate. 
are are you the only one that that or maybe I'm the only one that finds it interesting that their last name is Fox, like Mulder. Mulder Fox. Oh, it's Mulder. It's me. This story is it's about you. me. It's you. I really think that maybe the X Files were inspired with naming. I was gonna say Fox was that, Mulder. Was that, like being a little bit of a. It might Easter egg. It might be. I mean. I know I'm watching a really dumb show right now called Supernatural, and there's lots of references to it, but the guys in that show, their last name is Winchester. Like, are they related to Sarah Winchester? It might be a thing. Who knows? You know? That Um, that might be the implication. Yeah. It could be. I don't don't think we ever realized that, but, you know, it's, I will tell you this, Leah's last name, though, was changed to Fish, not Fox. There's no fish I know of in any television, but that's, um, that's an unfortunate last name. They just had a lot of animals, so <laughs> you know, Leah Fish was her married last name. So, I mean, anywho, Fox to Fish that feels like a that feels like you're a little kinda, demotion. Yeah, that feels like you're <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, let me. I'll tell you about Leah in a second. So, let me tell you a little bit about how things began. So, Mary Redfield was the Fox's neighbor. And the girls, uh, Maggie and Kate, actually went to her and told her that they kept hearing noises in their house every night at bedtime. Quote, thumps Mm -hmm. on the ceiling, bumps on doors or walls, sometimes Mm -hmm. raps sharp enough to jar bedsteads and tables. Not like MTV raps, but like knocking like raps. Oh. Okay. That's very um, like Enfield haunting too. (sighs) Just you wait. So Redfield was like, oh, maybe it's ghosts, but maybe it's a childish prank because these girls are young and they're, oh, they're of puberty age. Maybe they have hysteria, right? Because that's like part of what's going on there. The girls didn't really leave their house that often. They're bored. (laughs) We're going to start making up raps. We're going to start telling people our homes are haunted because we're quarantined um we do have a haunted doll but you're gonna start knocking on walls and freaking out your neighbors and i think that'll be such a great time start i mean what (laughs) who said what that That was the cat that said that what's happening it was the doll (laughs) anywho who is the doll fast forward a month so at the end of march it was like literally march 31st that all this started happening so in april in 1848 they got the attention of a journalist. His name was E.E. E. Lewis. He interviewed the family and published a 40-page pamphlet. Are you ready for the name of this pamphlet? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, so this is a really funny thing that I noticed when researching this, that people did not know how to be concise and wanted to have <laughs> just really long sentences, like is run-on it? sentences as titles. So here's one of them. It's you. It's Kim. Kim actually wrote this. She went back in time. She is E.E. E. Lewis. Don't give it away. Ah, shoot. All right. So anyway, Kim wrote (laughs) a report of the mysterious noises heard in the house of Mr. John D. Fox in Hydesville, Arcadia, Wayne County, authenticated by the certificates and confirmed by the statements of the citizens of that place and vicinity. What? (laughs) That's the name of the pamphlet. (laughs) It's a really long name. Like just when I think we're getting to the end, there's more words. I know. I feel like that's how people sometimes feel about our podcast. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. that's how people feel about me, but still. <laughs> that's why you wrote it. 
More words. More, more words. words. I mean, I guess if you're getting paid by the word, that's the way to go. Pretty positive they were not getting paid by the word. They just did not know how to be succinct. So having said that, this pamphlet said that, quote, it sounded like someone knocking in the East bedroom on the floor and sometimes, quote, sounded as if the chair moved on the floor. We could hardly tell where it was. So you know those neighbors that you have late at night that you're like, they're fucking moving furniture at two o'clock in the morning. I just thought they were What are they doing? Well, (laughs) that too, maybe. But I have neighbors that (laughs) literally sounds like they're dragging like a stool across the floor at two o'clock in the morning. You're like, what the hell are you doing? Or a body. A body. Or maybe it's this uh, ghost. So, Or it's the body of a ghost. That's really funny that you mentioned that. So having said that, it gets better. So both Kate and Maggie tried to mimic the sounds that they were hearing by tapping their fingers. Snapping into a microphone? No. Yeah, snapping. (laughs) That's better snap. Both Kate and Maggie tried mimicking the sounds of snapping their fingers, and the sounds would repeat in the room, echoing at the same amount of snaps that the girls did. So the knocking that they heard were knocking the same amount of times that the snaps were made. Did they Margaret, make sure no one was living in the wall? So there's more. See, Scully, Scully will, Scully just, will, Scully. Right? I, I, it's a legit question. There is no evidence that no one was living in the walls, but there or is more raccoons. evidence. See, stop investigating, man. I, I can't turn it off, Gabby. I can't. <laughs> I can't turn okay, it off. hold on. There's no trash pandas, okay? Hold on. You say that, and yet. And yet, no, it actually wasn't animals. They looked for animals. There was nothing there. Margaret, the mother, joined in. She decided that, you know what? This is probably legit. She sees the girls trying to, like, make noises and kind of realizes it's not them making the noises. Right. So she asked whoever was making the noise to knock the ages of her daughters just to see, like, is this thing intelligent? And it did. It knocked the right ages. So 14 knocks for one and 11 for the other. Mm. And this is a quote. The children were now clinging to one another in terror. Margaret seems to have been oblivious to the possibility, soon trumpeted by local newspapers, that her daughters were teasing her with an April Fool's Day joke. If so, the girls might have been frightened, but not by an unseen presence but by the unexpected success of their prank. So there was a suggestion Hmm. that maybe the girls were doing it and got so freaked out that it was working. Right. That the freaked outedness was misperceived. So possibility. There's one thing, okay? So then their dad, John Fox, heard the knocks and the raps, and he could not find the source. He could not figure out where it was coming from, and it started to get worse. So he went to his neighbors to tell them, hey, guys, it's it's getting bad. There is a ghost in our house of a man who was murdered and whose remains were buried in their cellar. What? I'm thinking, like, when I was reading this, I was like, how'd they know this, right? They never checked or they did check i mean like hold on we're getting there oh, okay, so okay. i want to know questions. how they even got that answer how did right? they get that information if they're just getting knocks so they knew it by asking the spirit if it was human so they kept asking yes or no questions and investigating it and it kept answering three knocks for yes or no knocks for no and it said it was a human an injured spirit And they discovered more information with more questions, eventually asked by William Dussler. Dussler. I have so many good names for you. I'm so excited to share. I was going to say, is that that my new new man for the week? 
Dusler or should I wait? You should wait. You should wait. Okay. Okay. But William Dusler was a previous tenant of this house. And once he heard that some weird shit was going on, he wanted to come by and check it out for himself and actually took over a lot of the questioning and was asking the questions himself. My kind of guy. Right. So Margaret reported that uh, Dusler discovered that, quote, the spirit was murdered in the bedroom about five years ago by a Mr. John Bell a former resident of the house on a Tuesday night at 12 o'clock by having its throat cut out with a butcher knife that the body was cut out, cut out was taken down to the cellar and that it was not buried until the next night, but buried 10 feet below the surface of the ground. Okay. I might call shenanigans on that. So I want to call shenanigans on everything, but I'm like, tell me more. I have to get more information. So apparently, and also side note, John Bill, does that ring any bells for anyone? Please John hold. Bell, like, like, bell. Oh, oh, which? Oh, maybe. Hold tight. Okay, so holding, I was holding. reading this and was like losing my mind when I was reading this. I was like, is it the same John Bell? But apparently, it's I mean, not John the is same. A very, very common name. And so is Bell. Apparently, so it's not the exact John Bell, but there is a reference. So hold, please. So I'm holding. Apparently, this ghost had been a peddler that was murdered for the $500 that he had on him because at the time, apparently, that was more money than a laborer like himself would make in an entire year. And he had it on his person. So someone robbed him and killed him for it. So his story was riveting, but witnesses were perhaps most amazed by the thorough knowledge of themselves and their community. So not only was this spirit telling the story of what happened to him, But somehow it knew the number of children in different families in the neighborhood and the amount of deaths in the same families. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah. yeah. What does that sound like? I mean, again, it's it's making me think of the Bell Witch stuff. Yeah. Like totally sounded exactly like what was going on in the Bell Witch. And if you haven't... Remind me uh, in terms of years, the years of for the Bell Witch again? Bell Witch was 18, 17 to 18... 21 21 and that was Mm -hmm. happening in tennessee yes so that's interesting right we're now in new york we're now in new york and it's 1848 and this is happening so this is this is after but we're seeing some of the same oh i'm so glad that you're catching on to that yes interesting so that's one point to keep in mind so think of that remember that okay all right all right all right eventually they resorted to digging up the cellar to try to find the body, but had to stop once they hit underground water. It hit like three feet down. There was a ton of water. And here's a good quote for you. I know you'll like this quote. Picks and bats were at once brought into requisition. And on digging down four feet, a stream of pure water gushed forth and filled up the ghost hole. The Oh, 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 <laughs> oh. Really didn't need to read that quote. I could have told you that information, but it's too good to not say. So I had to share with you. We filled up the ghost hole. The ghost hole had been filled. The ghost hole. That's what she. With gushing water. All right. So. uh, (laughs) Michael Scott would have a field day. Making mama proud. All right. So they got more information though. So the Weakmans were the most recent tenants prior to the Fox family. And they claim to have also experienced the raps and their teenage servant claimed to have seen a spirit of a man with gray pants 
a black frock coat, and a black cap. This servant was named Lucretia Pulver. And she Lucretia? provided... Lucretia. 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 That is a fabulous name. Right? I'm like, does she pulverize? Because <laughs> Pulver is her last name. But she provided the evidence. She worked for John Bell during his stay at the house and confirmed that the peddler did, in fact, exist. And he actually wore the same clothing that was seen on the spirit by the Weakmans. Interesting. So after being gone for a few days, Lucretia noticed that the peddler was no longer at the house and she had been given the task of mending two coats that somehow were suspiciously ripped to shreds. But no one knew how that happened. So that's kind of shady. And like ripped to shreds, not like the moths got to it. No, it was ripped to shreds. Yeah. Hmm. Now, interesting. Okay. once they were told by the spirit, which they then coined the Hydesville wrapper. <laughs> Uh, it's that's I feel like that was the name of an actor in Hamilton. It might have been. It might have been. It would have been very on brand. Yes. Um, but they were told to dig up the basement even further than what was dug up previously. And when they did, they ended up finding bone fragments, smashed pottery, and strands of hair. So that was physical evidence to say that there was a body there, but obviously we didn't have like DNA testing and stuff of that nature at the time. So the spirit not only had described, quote, a set of obscure events, but had also led searches exactly to the evidence, which proved its sad story to be true. The fact that no mortal had been caught making the sounds seemed to further support the rapper's otherworldliness. <laughs> Very otherworldly rapper. Um, <laughs> he doesn't but, have an otherworldly rapper. Right? So, but this is also the perspective of, oh, no, this couldn't have been done by a person. There's actual evidence that what was spoken about is true there's bones where they were killed and buried right so yeah. at one point later on kate gets sick okay dr henry p knowles no relation to beyonce <laughs> had found great commotion in the room of his patient snapping cracking noises all about the bed and as fast as he changed places the raps would do the same so hmm. literally like following him around the room and he couldn't figure out where the noises were coming from but he thought that Kate was in some way manipulating her joints or muscles of the fingers, toes, and knees. So oh, a doctor the... is thinking that she is making these noises mm. with like her joints, essentially. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could see that. Yeah. So you're getting some evidence. There's some people saying maybe the girls are playing a joke. Maybe right. it's actually real. We don't really know where it's coming from. But you also have to think about what life was like. In general, for, I mean, we were once 11 and 14-year-old girls, like, what? What? I had no idea. Um, you want to have vicious, fun, vicious right? We've <laughs> always been this age. We do not age. <laughs> um, exactly. But they want to, like, have fun, play tricks, like, do stuff yeah. that's going to entertain them because they're bored, right? Especially no, being locked fair. up at home. They might have exposure to different things. So there are external contributors to the things that are taking place. So I want to go through the external contributors. So there were certain things that happened in their recent history that could have influenced the girl's decision to potentially cause these things to happen. One we just talked about, the Bell Witch, early 1800s Tennessee. This was a highly publicized and documented event. We talked hmm. about it in the Legend of the Bell Witch episode. If you have not listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it. It's really really interesting. This is a similar case where you have a lot of documentation of things that are happening and not a lot of answers as to why they are happening. But somehow 
it's very similar in its nature. Both of them have noises that are being made, furniture being dragged. In this, I don't think anyone was like lifted up and thrown across a room or anything, but well, hold, just hold please, because there's more. Um, There's also John Wesley. He was actually the founder of Methodism, and he considered witchcraft to be the culprit of the 1726 poltergeist in his home. And guess what his name was? The poltergeist. The wait, the poltergeist name. Oh yeah, yeah, he had a name. His was name was Bob. No, sorry, Bob. Oh. <laughs> it was I, old I Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Well, old close. Jeffrey. So not just Jeffrey. He's old. <laughs> it's Aww, old Jeffrey. So Jeffrey. that story was actually published and republished. So it was published in 1823 in the memoirs of the Wesley family, similarly to how the Bell family had some of their memoirs published. And then it was reissued in the 1840s in the New York Tribune. And this was a very popularly read document by everyone in town and often discussed in Methodist uh, environments. And the Fox girls grew up in a Methodist environment. So it's very, very possible that they could have heard this story from others. Mm, That's true. Then there's Anton Mesmer who everyone has heard of from mesmerism. And he was an 18th century Austrian healer whose methods were adapted by healers called mesmerists to place a patient into a hypnotic trance. And Hmm. mesmerism evolved into entertainment in mid-1840s. And some claimed to have seen spirits and like receive clairvoyant powers after they woke up from a trance. So it started to turn from something scientific into something kind of paranormal, which is interesting. So that was starting to be a big thing at that time. You also have Emanuel Swedenborg. Uh, I used to to babysit for a Swedenborg church, a local Swedenborg church. (gasps) Really? Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So if for those of you who don't know, because Kim probably knows, Emanuel Swedenborg was an 18th century Swedish philosopher and mystic. He actually um, described an afterlife consisting of three heavens, three hells, and an interim in between. And the the world of the spirits was that in between. And it was where everyone went right after death. And it was apparently similar to what they were accustomed to during life. So it would be very easy to assume that that would then be a ghost in the present realm because that would be like their limbo, for lack of a better term. Right. And self-love actually caused a person to go to varying degrees of hell. Whereas if you uh, showed love for others, it elevated you to the heavens. So that's the Swedenborg um, religion. And then there was the 19th century American seer, Andrew Jackson Davis. He actually would become known as the John the Baptist of modern spiritualism. And he actually took both ideologies of mesmerism and Swedenborgism. I don't think that's what it was called, but I'm going to call it that. Swedenborgism. Yeah, that's a good religion. Um, But he took both concepts and claimed that Swedenborg's spirit spoke to him during a series of mesmeric trances, which I thought was wild and kind of really cool. He actually published a book in 1847 called The Principles of Nature, Her Divine Revelations and a Voice to Mankind. And it explained how spirits commune with one another while someone is in a body and while someone else is in the higher spheres. So it's really interesting to see the collaboration of multiple perspectives being put into one. And that's how 
you really saw this, the birth of spiritualism, the kind of thing. And we'll get to the Fox sisters evolution in a second. But what I thought was really interesting to notate here is that Davis actually invited the Fox sisters to his house and they all did a seance together and he wanted to see their abilities himself. He actually adopted them into the mass movement of spiritualism. And we're going to get to that in a second. So just wanted to throw that out context, right? So also magic was a big thing. Ventriloquism, sleight of hand, creating something from nothing, misleading an audience to believe something is true, but it's actually a trick, you know, rapping, that kind of stuff <laughs> was a thing during this time. No, 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 it was. <laughs> rapping. You're rapping. Boom, 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 boom. Oh my God, I can't do it. <laughs> so those are some external uh, contributors. Then you have familial contributors. So people within the family, as you know, something that you can inherit within your family, right? So Margaret's grandmother was reputed to have second sight. Her name was great-grandmother Rutin. And was that her first or last name? She's Rutin for Rutin. It was a, I don't know. It doesn't give me a first or last name. I just heard great-grandmother Rutin. It's R-U-T-A-N. And according to family lore, she would rise dreamily in a trance between midnight and 2 a.m. to track Mm. phantom funerals to the nearby graveyard. And her distraught husband would follow her to make sure that she was safe. These funerals hadn't happened yet, but she predicted them. They literally would happen within the next few weeks. So Hmm. that was Margaret's grandmother. So she would be the great-grandmother of Kate and Maggie and Leah. And then their aunt, Elizabeth Smith, who was Margaret's sister, was also clairvoyant. And at 19, she dreamed that she saw her headstone in a cemetery in a new country with information of her future husband and her death date being age 27. And that actually ended up playing out. Oh, interesting. And then you have Leah, who we talked about. Leah Fish. She was the girl's older sister. (laughs) (laughs) Leah Fish. She inherited this clairvoyance and introduced the world of opportunities in the spiritual realm to Kate and Maggie. And she actually had a daughter named Lizzie. What I thought was super wild was that Lizzie apparently did not like the spiritual realm and Leah just like sent her away and was like, bye Go elsewhere. I don't need this negativity in my life and sent her somewhere else. But apparently Leah lived in a presumed haunted house in Rochester and eventually Kate and Maggie would stay with her from time to time. And a lot of paranormal experiences began to happen at that house with all three of them present. So I have some quotes for you and some information about some of the seances and things that would happen in that house. Okay. We could hear them shuffling, giggling, and whispering. Occasionally, they would come and give our bed a tremendous shaking, lifting it and us entirely from the floor, almost to the ceiling, and then let us down with a bang, then pat us with hands. So now we're getting into more of the Bell Witch type vibes because now things are happening where I don't know how you would debunk that. Now, this was documented by Lemuel Clark. He was a congregational minister from Westford, New York. He documented a specific investigation at the Granger residence, which was a friend of theirs. Hermione? So at an investigation at the Granger residence... Uh, It was described as almost identical as the happenings with the Fox family, connecting Clark directly to the Foxes and Leah Fish that would later become a seance sitting 
or a spirit circle. So that's when the name seance started to become a thing. And after interacting with the spirits through question, answer, responses with knocking and taps, one member of the group asked the spirit to move a table. And this is when things started to get pretty wild. So Clark ordered that the participants draw their chairs back about a foot, place their feet on the chair rungs, and to raise their hands high in the air, clearly visible to all. Everyone complied. Without human effort, the table slid toward him across the knobby rug as though impelled by the strength of a man. So there were multiple people that witnessed this happening, and everyone could see everyone's hands and feet. So I don't know how you would debunk that. So that's kind of crazy. Interesting. Um, the spirit then pulled the feet of the attendees, and then they heard the sound of a saw, like sawing wood, which is also like kind of hand scary. Saw, I would, well, they yeah. didn't have the other kind of saws. Well, <laughs> no, but I mean like like a small hand saw as opposed yes. to okay. Kate was actually said to be one of the stronger mediums of Kate and Maggie and was an exquisitely sensitive individual through whom the spirits were said to communicate. So the way that they specifically communicated, I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, was they would do three knocks to say yes. Five knocks would signal that they needed to use an alphabet, like a make your own Ouija board kind of situation. Right. And silence meant no. So, I mean, it could have been like or a... silence meant no. Yeah, silence meant no. So anytime someone asks me something and I don't say anything, no. <laughs> That's what that means. That's what that... I need a t-shirt. This My silence means means no <laughs> we should make a shirt that says that and this the back's just saying ghoulish tendencies podcast <laughs> I, i'm fine with that that's, i love that, that idea actually that's Patreon great reward yes that's a great <laughs> idea also anyone who has any ideas for like merch or anything like that please share with us anywho so Kate and Maggie were to fulfill all of these um, requests to do these at-home seances. And over the next few years, they attracted an international audience, inspired others to explore their own mediumship. They actually encouraged it right. and satisfied the hunger of a lot of Americans who were going through some rough times. And this was a way that they could identify hope and maybe contact some of their um, past loved ones. And somehow, not only were these knocks and raps happening in just their own home when they would go there, but once they would leave their own homes and go to other people's homes, it would follow them. So it was almost like the spirits were following the girls. Hmm. So they had some Quaker neighbors. They were named the Posts, so the Post family. They were super, super skeptical of everything. And once the girls visited them and they started to hear things and see things happening, then they actually really were interested in it and were asking them to come over more so they could experience it more. And they became fully immersed in communicating with the spirits themselves. And then sometimes would try to communicate with the spirits when the Fox sisters were not there, but wouldn't get much of a response. So they only really got responses when the girls were there. So the girls actually spoke simultaneously as the raps sometimes and would even bring up topics that the raps didn't bring up, mm -hmm. which made some people think that they weren't just mind readers, but spoke on the behalf of the spirits. If I were there and I were seeing something like that, I might think that they were influencing the answers that the spirits were giving because we liked to scully, but no one was super scully at that time. Well, no, of course not. There was a yeah. lot more superstition. Totally. 
So some people started to investigate this and no one could prove where the sounds came from. At this point, they were legit. The Christian establishment regarded the Fox family as otherworldly visitors as emissaries of the devil or the delusions of the sisters' fevered imaginations or the product of mischief and fraud. Someone even offered to do an exorcism on them. They actually allowed them to do it, and nothing worked, obviously, because they were not possessed by the devil. Right. By 1849, the Fox sisters' reputation as spirit messengers spread to nearby counties, and they were getting all kinds of people coming to them that were grief-stricken that needed help. Kate was isolated from her sisters. She was thought to be the strongest and tested by a journalist named Eliab Caprone. <laughs> another Eliab? name for you. Eliab. That's amazing. And he actually said that in different hosts' parlors, with the gas turned down or candles extinguished, tables tipped over and flipped back, small chairs pinioned themselves to the floor and could not be budged. Combs flew out of ladies' upswept hair and fastened themselves to other women's top knots. I don't know how someone could make that happen. That's pretty wild. I mean, there's a lot of theater tricks and that could and old magician tricks that used to be used by a lot of the old spiritualists. Well, that's right, um, because we were talking about like magicians. Yeah, yeah. So that um, actually technically could have been a thing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and I mean, some really remarkable ones, some really remarkable stuff that that could be achieved with illusion, that could be achieved with. Um, and it, it's it's not to say that all spiritualists were faking it. But I mean, again, here's the thing. When somebody wants to believe something, they're going to believe it. They're going to believe it. So it's, it's not that I, I don't believe the account. I just, I do question some of the accounts that are being written by people who desperately want to believe it when there are ways to achieve some of these things using essentially magic tricks now again it's 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 the scully in me it's not to say that something couldn't have or did not happen but it is to say that from a skeptical point of view there are ways this could have been achieved especially if you're dealing with an audience who very much wants to believe it totally and that's the thing about this is that you have both sides of the spectrum right while all this is happening and i think a really important thing to notate here, I'm just going to pause for a second on the information I'm giving, is that whatever you want to believe, believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. What we're providing right now is literally just what was documented. Right. And I wanted to give bits and pieces of why people thought it was a real thing and then bits and pieces as to why people thought it was a fraud. But we're going to get more into that in a second. So just wanted to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. So. There were a lot of skeptics questioning everything. And when that happened, apparently all of the spirits went silent and they said, we are going to go now. And then for two weeks, they had no responses, nothing. And then all of a sudden they were back. And when they were back, everyone flipped out. And they actually needed a larger space to showcase what they could do at this point because so many people were flocking to houses. So in order to get a larger platform, they actually ended up booking the Cornithian Hall, which was in New York, and it seated eleven to 1,200 people. 
Mm-hmm. And that was a place where a lot of people went to perform, to speak of creativity, learn about information. So it seemed like the proper place for them to hold a hearing, essentially. And right. on November 13th, 1849, 400 people rushed to the door to observe this. They ended up filling the place so intensely that they ended up booking four consecutive nights to showcase the strange happenings that they could do. Like wow. four nights in a row. And people didn't know what to expect. Was it witchcraft? The crowd was super rowdy, but actually only Maggie and Leah were on stage. Kate stayed home. Hmm. And uh, our friend Caprone, he was present. He actually delivered a lecture on everything that he researched. Kind of bored everybody, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) Audience wasn't really super interested in what he was having to say. They were more interested in the fact that there were raps that were happening around the room while his lecture was happening. And they were no longer an audience, but active participants in investigating and questioning where the sounds were coming from and whether or not spirits were the ones causing them. So four nights in a row of this. On November 18th, Maggie and Leah allowed themselves to actually be strip searched, which was Mm -hmm. super crazy. Um, People were accusing them of having leaden balls attached to them that were like hitting each other and making noises, like when they would move, but they were hidden in their clothing. But they were strip searched so thoroughly that they were like crying hysterically while it was happening. It was Mm. super invasive and they were completely mortified. One of their neighbors actually had to burst in to stop everything from happening because of how horrible it was, which Mm. does not sound like a good time. But the fact that they even let that happen to prove that they weren't the ones doing it made people think that it was more legit. So it actually caused a public outroar. Their legitimacy was criticized. Their names became famous, but at a cost. So again, still people didn't know whether or not to believe it. In February 1850, our friend Eliab Caprone, he published a pamphlet. Are you ready for another long title? I am. All right. Singular Revelations, Explanation and History of the Mysterious Communication with Spirits, Comprehending the Rise and Progress of the Mysterious Noises in Western New York Generally Received as Spiritual Communications. That name. (laughs) Kind of wild. But overall, he actually stated that spiritual communication should be looked at as a natural phenomenon versus a supernatural phenomenon. And it is produced by natural causes. It was intended to place spirits in the realm of science versus superstition. And it praised the Fox sisters, said that they were honest people. And, well, he actually said that you don't just get spirit visitations with them. Like, other people get them, too, and was basically trying to say that in the book. And then later, in March of the same year, so, like, the next month, <laughs> DM Dewey was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish another one. And I'm going to outdo him, not just with the content, with the length of the title. DM so, Dewey. DM Dewey really did it. So his title is uh, History of the Strange Sounds or Rappings Heard in Rochester and Western New York and usually called the Mysterious Noises, exclamation point, which are supposed (laughs) by many to be communications from the spirit world together with all the explanation that can yet be given of the matter. These titles, I really don't understand. There's a lot to unpack there. There really is. And this, I think, was like a 50-page pamphlet. So it was real. It wasn't even a pamphlet. That's like a book. So it suggested that people decide whether or not they believe for themselves, but to make sure that at least if they wanted to believe in it, that they had the proper evidence in order to believe. So science challenged everything. Spiritualism offered a way of clinging to the past. 
far from rejecting science and rational thinking, spiritualists actually believed that they were on the cutting edge and using scientific methods to prove the existence of God in the afterlife, which drew more people to them. And in 1849 to 1850, the Fox sisters actually retreated from the limelight and stage because it started to become dangerous for them. They now became a trio that were for hire, for hire seance crew of Leah, Kate, and Maggie. But they didn't always have the results from the spirits. Of so there were some famous people involved. However, Frederick Douglass was Ooh. even in one of their seances. And he actually, they didn't have any evidence. There were no rappings. He didn't hear any rappings during this um, seance. And he got super frustrated, broke out in anger, and like yelled at everybody. Oh, wow. Because he didn't get to witness any rappings. But apparently some participants at the same seance could experience different things and emerge with opposite opinions of what had taken place, even though they were all at the same place at the same time, which then throws a wrench in everything that you understood up until this point, right? So that was also super weird. So now I'm going to start listing the things that make it kind of go, I don't know if this is legit. So that's one. Here's another one. At one point, there was a seance that happened with a teacher that Kate had had when she was growing up. And the spirit in the seance was asked to spell scissors, but it spelled it S-I-S-S-E-R-S, left out the C. Yeah, well, it happens. So Kate Fox's older teacher noted that in school, Kate also had misspelled scissors in the exact same way. Hmm. Gives you some food for thought, right? Interesting. Interesting. Interesting, Scully. Interesting. Interesting. So... Then there was also a physician from New England named Dr. Phelps. He reported that his windows had shattered spontaneously, his clothes had been torn without human interference, inanimate objects had danced together on his floor, and weirdest of all, you're going to love this. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Turnips were inscribed with mysterious hieroglyphics that surged forth from the living room carpet. Not quite sure how they so made like, that happen. The carpet grew turnips? And it had hieroglyphics like carved into were, the turnips. I have questions. I have questions. One. So do I. <laughs> were these turnips like slowly growing out or was it just like boom, turnips? You know, we got to ask Dr. Phelps because I don't know. Because I, I, Dr. Phelps, I have questions. I'd like you to call me. Thank you. All right. Then... <laughs> They, the girls did a performance in Buffalo and cushions were placed. Buffalo to Buffalo. Yeah. (laughs) Cushions were placed between their feet and the wooden floorboards because someone was like, they're knocking their feet together. They're doing something with their feet in the floor. I mean. And apparently that night, no one could hear any knocking. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. 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 All right, so by May 1850, they were going on tour. They're so popular, high demand, go on tour. They were literally making a dollar per group session and $5 per private session. They actually made easily up to and maybe even more than $150 a week. You know what that equates to today? What's that equate to? That's like five grand a week. Damn. Which is not too shabby. No. So they actually booked a suite at uh, Barnum's Hotel as in Barnum and Bailey. So it was actually the cousin. It was Barnum's cousin. Um, It was his hotel. And it was on the corner of Broadway and Maiden Lane. And they conducted their sessions 
in the hotel's parlor. They actually invited as many as 13 people to gather around the large table at 10 a.m., 5 p.m., and 8 p.m., and they would just take private meetings in between. So they were literally like booking themselves solid whole day, like no breaks, just to make this five grand a week. Wow. So an editorial in the Scientific American actually scoffed at their arrival, calling them the spiritual knockers from Rochester. Spiritual knockers. Spiritual knockers. <laughs> that sounds hey. like a busty ghost. It might have been. I feel like maybe that should be the name of this episode. I, I think that's spiritual knockers. Spiritual knockers. That's so on brand for you. I can't even handle it. <laughs> um, so they actually like no matter what other people said, they still sold out sessions and made mm. a living for this are doing this for close to 40 years, which is kind of wild that they did this for so long. But lots of people that were imitators came out of the woodworks and started saying that they too were mediums and were experiencing the mm. same things and kind of made them look bad in doing so. And in October of 1850, the New Haven Journal reported that there were 40 families in upstate New York who claimed to have the same gifts as the foxes. Mm. And more were ranging from Virginia to Ohio. This is just like the next year. So how do 40 families have this happen within a year? In 1851, um, one of the writers at the spiritual world tallied more than 100 spirit mediums just in New York City. Wow. Like that's, that's wild, right? That's kind of intense. So they blew this thing out of the water. It marked a shift in popular attitudes toward the paranormal in general. And mm. like if you were to go 200 years earlier... If you had two teenage girls claiming to talk to the dead, there's a witch. She's a witch. She's but a witch. these wit these witches, they were single young women. They were not married. And look at this money they were reeling in. And look what they influenced. So I'm curious because they were relatively young when this all started. Yeah. Well, they were eleven and fourteen, and yeah. then Leah was thirty three though. So she was kind of their manager. <laughs> You know, like she yeah, was the one who enough. taught them everything that they knew and she encouraged recognized. it. Yeah. yeah, she recognized. It's just reminding me of a lot of other cases. Oh, yeah. Some of it is mirroring some later stuff almost exactly, which I find fascinating. Anyway. Well, I mean, this is mirroring stuff that happened prior to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that's the most respectable way of admiring someone is copying their art right <laughs> is this copying so, it yeah that's true no. um <laughs> so but apparently not everybody approved maggie in particular was actually subject to some really terrible abuse um from oh. those who thought she was a fraud or a heretic oh. and in troy new york she was actually kidnapped oh no by a group of men who were offended by their show she was fine by their show i know right amen but they continued to do their performances. Kate took performances further. She toured in Great Britain and advanced the performance to somehow include apparitions. So you physically could see an apparition uh, in a strange psychic light during her seances. Now, I will say, yes. um, I have seen a way of creating something like that. Um, like a magic trick? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I, I know of a similar trick that used to be used sometimes in the theater that involves some mirrors. I'm, I'm, Scully. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing, I'm throwing it out there <laughs> that there were a lot of illusions that could be created even then fairly 
simple and yet, I mean, sophisticated in that respect because you could create something that uh, was very convincing. Yeah. Not to say it wasn't happening, just just throwing that out there for anyone who's like, they didn't have that kind of tech. They did. It's called a mirror. <laughs> yeah. It just wasn't as technical as what we have today. No, but it, they were very, I mean, again, you look at, if you want to talk about like the number one quote unquote magician that people typically think of even today, Harry Houdini. Oh, just you wait. I'm going to talk about him in a second. I know. Kate's story. She actually married a, a, another spiritualist and was really focusing on her medium powers. She actually mm-hmm. was able to communicate two messages simultaneously, writing one while speaking the other. So, I mean, mm. this makes me think like you are a talented individual. You don't have to be like a mind reader to do that, but no. you just have to be, you just have to be able to play the piano. You yeah. can play the piano and read like treble and bass, then you can do that. Cause I can't even do that. I literally, when I took a piano class, had to memorize everything I played. And then they gave me a C because I wasn't reading the music because I couldn't read two things at once. So like, oh, funny, you know, you just have to be talented in multitasking. Yeah. Um, yeah. She also transcribed messages in reverse script. Like, Mm -hmm. that's pretty wild. She utilized blank cards that somehow would cause words to appear on them. But then then I like to think, like, invisible ink or something like that. Yeah, I mean, again, all of these are things that... Could have been set up somehow. Very much so. Yeah. But I just did a quick search because I was kind of curious about the history of invisible ink. Uh It dates back 2,000 years. People were using it during the Revolutionary War. They were using it during the Greek and Roman times. Uh, yeah. So she definitely could have transcribed I'm, something. I'm just, I'm just laying that on the table for you that this was also... And because they were using it during the Revolution, it's not something that was out of the realm of possibility that they would have known about. It seems like it was something that was fairly commonly known, um, usually involving exposing it to, to heat. And um, scullied. I'm I'm just I'm I'm just I'm I appreciate do do. it. You're I just do doing your do, due diligence. I do my due diligence. Well, she got really smart about how to do it then because she oh, was no, showcasing no, no, more all. other yeah. more things. During the sessions with a wealthy banker, Charles Livermore, she actually summoned both his deceased wife and the ghosts of Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> like you do. She actually there's many cases where they have Benjamin Franklin pop up, which is so wild to me. Well, I mean, at this time, the Civil War was going on now. And yeah. so then a lot of people were wanting to speak to their loved ones more oh, because more, there's an influx in death, right? Well, it's, so, it's why you saw the same rise of spiritualism in after World War One. Yes. So in 1852, you're not going to like this. Uh-oh. At age 17, Maggie met her 30-year-old oh, girl. Girl. boyfriend. Girl. Girl, Are you ready for talk. his name? Oh, you God. ready for his name? I am. Elisha <laughs> Kane. Elisha Kane. Of course it was. It's spelled like it Alicia like almost. Of, it sounds I, like the name of a 30-year-old guy who wants to get it on with a 17-year-old. <laughs> who's an Arctic explorer and wanted a long-distance relationship. So Naturally. Naturally. So they were in a long-distance relationship, and he promised her, we're going to get married one day, I promise you. For years, she clung to him, right? And uh-huh. I'm just like, ma'am, get it together. But he gave her a ring exchange uh, ceremony before he went on his last foreign expedition. And before this happened, he was having issues with his family because apparently his family was, quote, in the snootiest echelon 
of Philadelphia society. And his family did not like Maggie. They called her a backwoods purveyor of profane heresy. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just like, damn. Wow. Yeah. So they didn't like her very much. And so apparently the reason why he wouldn't marry her before he left was because his family didn't like her. And so that's why he was like, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a ring. We'll have a ring exchange ceremony. And then when I get back, we'll get married. And, you know, uh-huh. it's a shame. <clears throat> shame. Not a shame. That he died in Cuba at age 36 and never came oh, back. So, bye. Thing. But apparently, to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, Elisha's parents wouldn't let Maggie come to the funeral and refused to acknowledge her as their son's like wife or other person or Aww. even common-law wife. That's rough. That's rough. And didn't okay, even no. let her have claim to his estate. Oh. So she was like destroyed over it. And... In order to get back at them, I guess, she published a book about all of the love letters that he had written her and titled it The Love Life of Dr. Kane and then became an alcoholic. So Maggie had a rough go. Her love life is not the best. Alcoholism is a real thing. And in October (laughs) 21st. That's not funny, but it's funny the way you said it. eh, Happens. All right. So October 21st, 1888, The Confession. Now, this was the most controversial thing to date. Mm. Maggie actually confessed that the sisters could twist their ankles and bend their toes to produce a clicking sound. She had been paid $1,500 at the time, $1,500. So if you're talking about $150 equating to $5,000, imagine what $1,500 at the time would have equated to. That's a lot, yeah. And she had been struggling financially. She and Kate both had been struggling. Kate probably not as much as Maggie, but especially with Maggie going through this whole situation with her faux husband Mm, right? and her alcohol problem, she needed the money. And so she was paid $1,500 for the performance. And a lot of people said that it was damning proof that she was lying through her teeth that evening because of how much she'd been involved in the spiritualism movement. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people were like, I knew it. It's always been fake. But her main motivation, however, was how pissed off she was at her sister, Leah. Kate knew the situation that Maggie was in, and Kate was pissed at Leah because Kate and her husband had some kids, and Kate also took to alcoholism, and Leah accused her of not being a good mother to her children. Mm. So, And I'm sure that they both were like pissed at Leah for bringing them into this whole spiritualism thing since they were young and it was their entire lives, you know, and there were some people that did some awful things to them, but I think they were just looking for money and they were looking for a remedy to just stop all of the negativity coming at them. And they were Mm -hmm. pissed off at Leah and wanted to throw her under the bus. So Kate was actually in the audience when this happened and she planned to be there when Maggie gave her speech to support her. Mm Mm-hmm. And it actually says in here, I have a quote, my sister Katie and myself were very young children when this horrible deception began, Maggie said. At night, when we went to bed, we used to tie an apple on a string and move the string up and down, causing the apple to bump on the floor, or we would drop the apple on the floor, making a strange noise every time it would rebound. A year later, Maggie recanted her confession. A year later? A year later. Mm. It's funny because I saw another source that said, like, as soon as she admitted that it was false, she recanted it. But then I got, like, dates. And it says a year later she 
took it back. And it was because apparently her spirit guides told her to take it back. So or nobody wanted to hire her for anything anymore. And she ran and she out of had money. no money. Yeah. That's also a possibility because if that's so specific, the apple and the string, that's not something you pull out of your ass. Like right. that tells me if you, if you were able to explain it and you're like, oops, no, I was lying about my lying. Sorry. But also I feel like there are lots of things that they didn't explain that did happen when they were around that would make people still think that they were a thing. You know what I mean? Like there, I mean, it could go either way. And that's why it's to this day, something that people either agree with or don't agree with. Apparently Maggie never uh, reconciled with Leah. Leah died in 1890. Hmm. Kate died two years later. Uh, She was on a drinking spree and died alcohol poisoning. Maggie passed away eight months later in March of 1893, which I think is interesting because another source said 1895. Hmm. But in 1893, the spiritualists formed the National Spiritualist Association, which today is known as the National Spiritualist Association of Churches. So Hmm. the year that she died is interesting. It's just kind of funny, you know, Hmm. how that happened. That's the life of Kate and Maggie and Leah. Got some ups, got some downs. But everybody knew who they were. They were a big dill. So, like a pickle. A big (sighs) dill. So, I know. Now, you have people that were believers, that were non-believers, but that were all somewhat famous. And I wanted to talk a little bit about them. So, Charles Dickens. He was originally a skeptic. And later in life, he joined the London Ghost Club that was founded in 1862, which I did not know that. And I thought it was such a fun fact. He was a true scully of his time. Um, He later wrote A Christmas Carol that everyone knows. And it has legit depictions of skepticism in it. So beliefs of ghosts as well as skepticism. One ghost too. He liked to write about ghosts. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, spiritualism, ghosts. What? But I mean like- Not about the practice of. No, no, no. But of actual ghosts. Totally. But, and I think it's so cool that he was in like a ghost hunting group. That's so rad. I love that about Charles Dickens. I respect him so much more. Might be the only thing I love about Charles Dickens. So we also have Harry Houdini, who you mentioned earlier. He was kind of hot and cold with it, but really disproved of it at a certain point. In the 1920s, his mother passed away. He was super close with his mom. um, That's right, yeah. All he wanted was to communicate with her after she died and spent so much money trying to contact her with different mediums, but they were all fraudulent. And he focused all of his energy later on debunking all of them and spiritualism in general. And I think the irony of the whole situation is that there are rumors that allegedly after he died, his wife, Bess, pursued spiritualism for 10 years She held a seance every Halloween trying to contact him, which I think is so cool. (laughs) And she actually offered to pay $10,000 to anyone who would help her communicate with her husband. Oh, wow. Arthur Ford claimed to receive a message from Houdini and use the code Rosabelle Believe, which was the only code known between Bess and Houdini. So he told her this code, if I can communicate with you after I die, this is what I'm going to say. And only one person was able to actually say that to her. So in the end, apparently it worked. Or Arthur Ford's a psychic. I don't know. Something happened. So that's an interesting fact about Hmm. Harry Houdini. Then we have Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. 
He wrote... Well, he was Sherlock Holmes. Yes, thank you. He wrote about <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Sorry, my brain just died. And he actually, fun fact, in 1930, on July 13th, he made an appearance at his own memorial six days after his death. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no one saw him. However... So how did he make an appearance? That's Estelle hard. Roberts was there. She's a medium. And she, she assured that he was like, hey, guys, what's up? I she's here. the only one that saw him? Yep. She's a medium, so she could see him. Oh, wait, wait. I'm sorry, Gabby. I have to interrupt you. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle just walked in right now. Um, <gasps> he's here with me right now. Stop. Hey, buddy, what's up? You got anything? Do you got anything you want to say? Oh, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. He's telling me all kinds of cool things. Um, I really believe you. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> this is the thing. Who are you going to believe? Right? So at this the point. the person who says that. I'm sorry. I Okay, uh, Scully. You scullied it. But Arthur Conan Doyle was super into the spiritualist movement. And he really wanted to provide proof that he would come back after his death and communicate with someone. That's so proof. Uh, I know, but apparently some people <laughs> thought it was. So I just had to share it because it's but it's not proof. Okay, okay, Scully. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, listen. I'm I'm merely pointing out proof is not in the pudding. It's not in the pudding. There is a difference. But you can believe something. That's great. You can believe in the Fox sisters, but that is not the same thing as evidence. We love. So that was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and some people took it even farther than that. You have Thomas Bradford. Have you heard of Thomas Bradford? That name's ringing a bell. I can't figure out why. So he took his beliefs and experiments to next level. He put an ad in the paper under the pseudonym of (laughs) Professor Flynn. Yep. Nope. That just searching for uh, someone quote someone interested in spiritualistic science end quote. Um, He just wanted to have someone help him communicate after death. So there was one person who took the bait. Ruth Doran responded to the ad. And she said that she would wait for his cue and wait for him to communicate with her after he killed himself. So he sealed off the room that he rented. He blew out the pilot to the heater. He turned off the gas jets and uh, got into bed and eventually died. I mean, that's commitment to a bit. It really is. And apparently, too, while Ruth Doran waited for a sign from Bradford's spirit, another spiritualist in the same city named Lulu Mack claimed to have already had contact with the dead professor as he faintly said his own name two times in a seance. So he still apparently communicated, just not to Ruth Doran. And I think perhaps this is the missed connection from the afterlife like craigslist but like deadlift what's the deadlift we need to start that so overall the fox sisters really got this thing going they put in a ton of momentum into the spiritualist movement but you had some really interesting things come of it and if we didn't have this entire movement we wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now so that's true you know i'll give you that yeah it's kind of cool that the Fox sisters were these single independent women who made a, a life for themselves. Oh, women who independent. May I? Hashtag ghoul power. Huh? 
So um, <laughs> that's my research. That's the spiritualist movement. That's some darn good research, my friend. Oh my gosh, it's Scully approved. I'm so proud. <laughs> and having said that, Welcome to the Creepy Critics Corner. <gasps> creepy Critics Corner. Creepy Critics Corner. And this is where we talk about the things we've been watching and listening to and uh, mm -hmm. the things spooky. Kim, what you've been listening to, watching, and reading? Uh, well, actually, I, I want to give a shout out to something that kind of specifically relates to what we were talking about today. Ooh. It's a movie from 2011 called The Awakening. I don't think I've seen it. It stars Rebecca Hall. Uh, who can do no wrong in my book. She is fantastic. Uh, Dominic West, who oh, Americans probably mostly know from The Wire. Uh, Imelda Staunton, who Americans mostly know uh, for being what's her butt in uh, the Harry Potter movies. Um, so specific. Umbridge, Dolores Umbridge. Anyway, it's post-World War I England, and Rebecca Hall plays a uh, something of a ghost hunter, but really more of a Scully ghost hunter. She's a debunker. She yeah. visits spiritualists, and she exposes them as frauds. That's and so on she, brand. It is. It's. It, she's brought to uh, investigate a boys' boarding school that might have a haunting. At one point in time, it was originally designed to be something of a sequel to The Turn of the Screw. Um, oh, but it 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 evolved from there. But you can see. You can see that in there, huh. uh, like the, from the sister. It's a really, really solid film. It's not perfect, but Rebecca Hall is, she is radiant in everything she does. She is just so captivating to watch. And it's, it's a really underappreciated little supernatural film. I want to watch it now. Yeah, I, I highly recommend if you haven't seen it and you like supernatural movies, it's a lot of fun and it directly relates to the things we were talking about today. So when we started talking about it, I, I felt like I had to mention it because I think a lot of people have not seen it. And I think it's, it's, it's a really solid film. It's a very entertaining film and it's worth the watch specifically as we are all being quarantined right now and need things to watch. And I also will say I've been watching the HBO show, The Outsider. Oh, that was going to be one of the ones I talk about, too. Then I'm going to let you, because I just talked about The Awakening a bunch, so I'll let you talk about The Outsider. Okay. The Outsider, I actually started watching because you told me to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably do. Um, I really enjoy it. And I haven't, I've only gotten one and a half episodes in. I'm not even done with episode two right now, but I, you know, I, I kind of stopped because I wanted to watch it with my boyfriend. I didn't want to watch it without him. That's but... Fair. It's so wildly good, and I really enjoy the fact that I don't want to give anything. There's not much to give away at this point. I've only seen, like, one and a half episodes. but And it's a slow burn of a show. It is a very slow burn. There's yeah. a lot of death in the first episode. But so it's like beautifully put very, together. Oh, yeah, and beautifully shot. I, but if you're, well, like, sensitive. Bateman directed the first episode, too. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. He did an amazing job. Yeah. But if you are sensitive to, like, blood or gore or death or anything like that just be cautious well i'd say specifically it features the death of a child of a child yeah and and that there is death throughout the series so if if you're somebody highly triggered by that that's gonna be a problem <laughs> yeah i am not triggered by that mm. but i just thought it was very well written it's very well done um so and it's that's based on a stephen king novel although they've made some changes that i think have improved the storytelling 
which is even better. Love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't really had a chance to watch much else recently other than the stupid things I watched to turn my brain off. And I don't want to promote that while we're talking on this. Um, but I have been, <laughs> I was reading the book that I mentioned earlier, Talking to the Dead. If you are interested in the topics that I discussed today and you wanted to get more information on it, it's the most in-depth description and historical references of the Fox sisters and spiritualism that I think I could find. And mm-hmm. there's a whole slew of notes in the back of the book to showcase like where the sources are and how legit the info is. So if you're interested in that, that's a great book. So uh, having said that, thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, we have a Patreon now. Our Patreon offers a few different ways you can support our podcast with different rewards. And actually, I'm excited because we're going to be adding some new rewards to it. For those of you who donate at the $10 level, we're going to be offering additional content, some mini-sodes. We're going to be adding some levels that get you some kind of fun Ghoulish Tendencies merchandise. Yes! But uh, the the Patreon, you can find us on Patreon at Ghoulish Tendencies. Um, If you search Ghoulish Tendencies, you'll find it. We have links on our website, links on our Facebook. It allows us to continue doing this. It allows us to host the podcast. Um, It allows us to pay for expenses because there are expenses for putting on a podcast. Uh, Yeah. And we put a lot of time into our research. And so your support is greatly appreciated. It lets us keep going. And going. And, and going. going. <laughs> and, so, going and going and going and going. <laughs> going. So we also have our Instagram, obviously. So mm-hmm. if you would like to check out visual references to the things mm-hmm. we talk about, our Instagram is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. You can also message us there. We would love to hear any ghost stories that you have. We would love to share them in future episodes. We really want to acquire a whole bunch so we have a nice yeah. pot to pull from. So please mm-hmm. send us your experiences. We also have a website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. And that actually houses all of our episodes, all of our show notes, all of our references, and has links to our Patreon and our Instagram and all things. We also have a Facebook group called Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are, are stuck at home right now. I know Gabby and I are among those people since Going we are both. crazy. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to pour it into research for our next episode because yes. I've been looking. Uh, it's going to be a two-parter. Yes, it's going to be so good. You guys are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hit us up. Hit us up on, on Instagram. Hit us up on Facebook. Like, we're happy to chat. We're happy to talk about ideas, talk about episodes. Find us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. Ghoulish Podcast. And then my personal Twitter is at Seattle Screams. I'm very active on all the horror stuff there. So send me a message. I'm probably online live tweeting a movie or something. <laughs> And if you love what we do, not only can you support us on Patreon, but you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate us and review us. We really appreciate the ratings and reviews that we get from you guys, and it really, truly makes our day. It really also, does. There's been some lovely, lovely things said, and it, it it makes me feel good. Yes, and it's a great time to share this information with people. So if no one knows about our podcast, tell them about our podcast so they can listen with you and get caught up, and you guys can have like... FaceTime with each other and talk about what we talk about. <laughs> so having said that, thank you for listening and uh, stay spooky. Stay spooky. <laughs>